0: Alright, I'll do Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on US. Mintmobile.com switch.
1: Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over forty gigabytes per month face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active mint customers by five thirty one twenty four Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you
2: I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying this show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on American Glutton, my guest is Matt Starr. Matt is an artist, filmmaker, and poet, and he's here to talk about his journey through body dysmorphia and unhealthy habits to the more balanced ways he lives his life now. You can find Matt on Instagram
3: at Matt Starr.
2: Matt Starr, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank
3: you so much for having me.
2: Dude, I... um, Growing up having food and body issues that I had, I felt so isolated. It was nothing I ever talked to about with anyone. And so my parents, when they would try to discuss it with me, I would shut down because it was coming from this authoritative, like, here's what you need to do for this problem that we perceive in you. And so... And then even as an adult, I was not comfortable talking about this shit with anyone except for maybe eventually my wife, um, which was also a very hard thing to to break through. My point is, and not to be too long-winded on this, um, I become fascinated whenever I hear anybody who isn't morbidly obese that has any relationship that isn't just I eat what I want to eat. Do you know what I mean? And so like talking to you – Uh, 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 finding out that that you who I would just look at and go normal guy has anything that's abnormal with food or with any of that in that universe, exercise, your body, it's fascinating to me.
3: I'm obsessive. It's crazy because like, you know, I've been listening to your podcast, which is why I reached out. And, um, everything you're saying is like, check, check, check. It's my, it's my brain, which is wild. I, it's wild to me too. Cause yeah. I look in the mirror and it's like, I know what I see, but it's also like shallow house sometimes where it's like, I'm, it's body dysmorphia yeah. my whole life. And only now and over the past few years do I have the language for it. Right. But no, I grew up chubby, you know, not that cute, not that cute to me, but whatever was the reality was was it was my reality. Yeah. And I was so keenly aware of other boys' bodies not in a sexual way, just like I was so keyed into like what a skinny person looked like and was fixated on that and wanted that because I knew that I wasn't that. But at like a really crazy young age, like I must have been seven and I wouldn't wear jeans because I thought jeans, I mean, this is a seven-year-old's mindset. I thought jeans made my thighs look big. It's amazing. It's insane. And social media wasn't around. Like where were these ideas coming from? Yeah. And I really and I wasn't morbidly obese. I was just like a chunky little kid.
2: Right. I and 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 like and now I don't even have uh the I can't even I don't trust my view on these things at all because I go like, well, when I was a little kid, there were no chunky little kids or there was a normal version of chunky little kids which all kids grow kind of wide and then tall and this is like how kids grow and being a parent, I see that. And and I'm struggling against my own fears as a parent. Like, well, shit, are we feeding them too much? And my wife is like, chill out, dude. This is normal. This is like how kids do it. Um, But yeah, same thing. Like as a little kid, worried about what I wore, worried about how it fit. God forbid anybody asked me to tuck my shirt in because then it revealed like that my gut hung down. Like all of it. And it's just this crazy. And now... I don't even I, – I, I, the same thing you're talking about. Like I don't know how to process this because now I go like, well, it's all social media driven. But it wasn't then. What was driving it then?
3: So knowing I was coming on here, I've been taking notes because it's been really fascinating for me to look back because listening – again, one, I just want to thank you for being so fucking vulnerable and talking (laughs) about this stuff because, you know, I Brene Brown it all the time because, you know, you have to dare – what is it, dare greatly? Yeah. Um, The more you talk about this kind of stuff, it strips away the shame. Yeah. So the more I've listened to you and spoken about it over the past year or two with friends or people I'm dating, you know, it feels good and people are like, oh, yeah, me too. Not morbidly obese, but it's just it's giving people permission to talk about it, which has been amazing for me because I wanted permission to talk about it and not just use humor to kind of like joke about it. Right. Um, But I've been trying to kind of figure out what the linchpin was for these obsessive thoughts. You know, I was an awful eater. My parents worked really late. So when they came home, you know, it was Burger King. It was fast food. But it wasn't just Burger King. It was everything at Burger King. So yeah. it was not just the double cheeseburger with extra pickles. And it was the soda with every single flavor. Coke, Sprite, Diet Coke. I wanted it all. Did you have a name for that?
2: Because we did that too. And I don't think we ever had a name for that. But it should have been some kind of soda punch you no. know, or sangria or something I, like that. I
3: don't know. But maybe it was just me. Like, you know, as a young kid, I just wanted good value. Yeah. And, you know, you can get it. It was all free. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I... I just, like, ate like a dog. Yeah. I never let food go. And I just ate so much of it. And I was eating poor... I didn't... I didn't, Again, I was a kid. I had no concept that you literally are what you eat. And I felt awful all the time. And then I looked awful. Yeah. And then I was wearing, like, a Dan Marino jersey for two years, this oversized Dan Marino jersey. Because
2: you can hide in
3: because, it. Because, you know, like, man boobs. And I was just so self-aware at such a young age of what didn't feel good and what didn't look good. Yeah. And, yeah, I was hiding it for years. And And then...
2: There comes the issue for me of nature versus nurture. And and I like, you know, my brain wants to go, it's all this or it's all that. And then I look at the the literature on either one and go like, yes, I can believe this. Yes, I can believe this. But then I go like, no, it's got to be somewhere in the middle because we do, we participate in the things that we're surrounded by, I think, naturally. Um, But then certain people have a tendency to participate more or use it in different ways or their body reacts in different ways. Like I could probably lay out 10 people who have the same inclinations towards food and then it's just expressed differently physically, Yeah, you know. So then I don't know. What do we do? Uh,
3: For me, I mean, I feel the healthiest I've been I think over the past year. In my entire life, I think truly understanding what a healthy balance of food and diet meant. Because I went from obsessively eating to obsessively working out, and then obsessively counting calories and everything. Just I took it to the tenth degree, yeah. and nothing was healthy. And I think there's there's a term for being o- like overly obsessed with being healthy. Yeah. Um, but for me, it really has been balance, balance in everything, balance, and because you know I'm a vegan. Um, and I'm a gluten, I'm gluten free as well, mostly. Um, but it's really processed stuff. It's a processed stuff. I especially with gluten, I really try to stay away from because it makes me feel awful. Yeah, I feel really awful. But
2: did you find that you required? I mean, was that was that something you did? How long ago did you make these dietary so, changes? So,
3: so I ate really poorly growing up, and you know, my mom was trying to you know get me to eat healthy stuff. But why when I had when I could eat Burger King or I could eat you know Lunchables? Yeah. Um, my dad was a vegetarian my whole life and, you know, I just ate poorly. And then when I get to college, I just didn't want to eat meat and yeah. I didn't have to. So I gave it up. Okay. And I didn't really think tw- twice about it. And it was all about how I felt. It was not about the environment. It wasn't about the animals at that time. And then yeah. I became educated. And I was like, oh, this is just good. Right. For everything. Sure. Um, and I never really craved it. And then I- have you, when you. Do you – you said you're mostly gluten-free. Mostly gluten-free.
2: So when you eat stuff with gluten, do you
3: notice a very quick reaction to it? I'm not – you know, I don't have an allergy. Um, And the gluten thing is kind of complicated for me because I gave up – so I was on – we can talk about it. But Mm -hmm. I was on Adderall for almost 20 years. Okay. And I couldn't get off it. And if – you know, I definitely had an addiction. I never abused it. I never really did more than I was supposed to. I just – you know, when you're given it at such a young age – You just, it's like vitamins. It's just a part of you. So I just took it and took it and took it and never thought to not take it. And eventually when I got older, I was like, man, I don't feel good taking this stuff. My heart's racing. I'm like angry. And I was finally, I became self-aware about it. And when I took, like when I didn't take it for a day or two, I was extremely lethargic. My appetite, I was eating everything and I felt like shit. So I was like, "Well, I can never get off this ever." I literally thought for the rest of my life, my mom and I would fight about it. She's like, "What do you think about getting off it when you graduate?" I said, "No."
2: Your mom, who was part of—I I assume if it's twenty years, you're Definitely. not that old—part of the the, the impetus of like, let's do this thing. Definitely,
3: because I was, you know, I, severe ADD, ADHD. They put me in the special ed because I was just like I was disrupting class. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, she knew that it was time to get off and I was just like, no, this is – I need this and yeah. I just – I don't want to blow up. Like I'm going to gain 50 pounds if I stop this drug. Yeah. And then I ran out one day and I was living in Brooklyn and I was like – my who, the psychiatrist was in New Jersey and I was like, I don't want to go back. And I knew that I felt lethargic. I'm In my head, I made this connection whether it was real or not, but to me it was. Giving up Adderall or when I was lethargic off of Adderall was the same feeling I felt when I ate gluten, like pasta and all those things. So I was like, I'm going to give up Adderall and I'm going to give up gluten at the exact same time and went cold turkey. Wow. And for up to a month, I had this insane surge of natural energy. It was the best I'd ever felt in my life. And I said, I don't need any of this. And, you know, I drink coffee now, right. but I haven't touched Adderall. Um gluten, you know, again, I don't have an allergy. It's just like instead of eating like a huge plate of pasta with like a bunch of crap in it, you know, I'll have a croissant once in a while. Or You know, I'm not crazy about it. And that's really what
2: I'm, I'm wondering is when you do have that, do you have physical reactions?
3: I feel guilty. I think from a lifetime of feeling guilty about the stuff I put in my mouth, I feel I, – I don't see the nutritional benefits to having that because my brain is like, well, if this isn't – Doing something good for my body and helping power it? Yeah. Why am I eating this? Yeah. Because I don't like – again, I like eating the croissant, but I don't like eating it. Right.
2: I, it is such a strange thing too because I have a lot of uh, morality attached to certain types of foods. But then I will even like – not. I haven't really done this in a few years, but I would have this way of like um, – there's a gluten-free pizza – and strangely, I, I think it's my favorite pizza in Los Angeles. I don't know if that's just because it tastes fantastic or because at the time that I discovered it, I had had this, comp, uh, this computation ingrained in me like all I have to do to lose weight is not eat gluten. And so then I found gluten-free pizza and I was like, well, I'm just going to eat gluten-free pizza. It doesn't quite work yeah. that way. Um but I love this gluten-free pizza, and now when I eat that, I feel guilty, and so it's just this like fucking endless cycle of like it's find endless. something it's truly like yeah, and 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 trade this for that, and and like at the end of the day, I do feel good when I've eaten food that is not processed, that is not too much, and exercised. And at the end of the day, I have no moral mental panic, and I also feel physically good if I go out and have ice cream. I feel guilty and then I feel like shit the next day physically. And so there's all this burden for – to keep me away from that. It is exhausting. It's, ex-
3: it's literally – I don't know. How do we live? Yeah. How do we – but listening to you talk, it's like hearing my own thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's become about balance, eating really clean, kind of eating – you say it in one of your commercials, which I, I actually don't skip through your commercials because okay. I'm like, yeah, this is good. This I need this. Right. Um But it's eating the same things over and over and it gets boring, but I just, I feel better. And also, frankly, for my mental health, which I've really prioritized over the past few years and how eating affects it. Yeah. If I just eat the same things, which, yeah, it's boring, but, man, it's just all that stress. I don't have to deal with the guilt. I don't have to deal with all those things, and I feel like, yeah, because it consumes me. If I eat the wrong thing or I went to the New Beverly and I was like, you know what? I'm at Tarantino's Theater. I'll get the popcorn, right. and it's and it's perfectly – it's priced $5. Yeah. I was like I have to be – like I'm really big into like experiences sure. and leaning in, but, man, I felt like shit after. Yeah. And it was just normal popcorn, no butter, and I was like, but I don't – even really want this
2: no i know but but i think there is something true to that like my wife has a hard time going to a movie theater and not having popcorn i was a hot dog kid so i wasn't even i wasn't ever invested in popcorn so i don't have that childhood like a movie equals popcorn for my wife it's not as fun an experience for her so she now will do a small popcorn without butter um For me, I just love the movies, but I completely understand that thing of like, I don't want to deny myself the fun experiences in life. Like, what's the trade off if you're just withholding all this stuff that you have associated pleasure with? For what? You know what I mean? What's the trade off? You get a few extra years of withholding yourself from experiencing pleasure. Like, I, you know, at some point, I think the trade off of long life for fun is is fair yeah you know
3: i also think the trade off of like having less weight in your like and pressure in your head because again what you said earlier about like it's consuming it's overwhelming and if you're like eating things that don't make you feel good and then you carry that guilt later it's you know that's also time off your life that's time you know time with like time you know you can't focus on the kids you can't i can't focus on art or film or whatever it is i'm doing yeah because i feel so guilty so i can't sit and watch a movie because all i can think about is like w- like grabbing my waist i'm like fuck right
2: like did, I gain, damn, did i gain weight damn.
3: today like yeah yesterday i went to universal because i'm like when i'm at when in town sure and like There's not really any healthy options. So I'm eating the food that I have to eat, like the healthiest versions of that. And I'm like, I'm going to regret this. Yeah. But what am I going to do? Starve myself?
2: Yeah. I've heard about uh, bringing up Universal. They have the Harry Potter land there, right? Yeah. And and there's like a butter beer. I don't drink beer or or eat butter. And so I don't know. But I think my kids have had butter beer. So I'm assuming it's non-alcoholic. And I hear about this drink and I'm like, how could I go... To Universal and not at least have a sip of a butterbeer. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm not breaking my sobriety. It's fucking with my diet because I assume Definitely. it's got butter in it. But like I'm going to do that. It's
3: basically butterscotch. It's 100% sugar <laughs> yeah. and butterscotch. Sounds it's, fucking
2: it's awesome. It's fucking
3: delicious. Yeah. I, I had it. They haven't – they just opened a New York store and Uh I'm like – I'm I'm late to everything. So I just got into Harry Potter. Right. But I tried the butterbeer and I was like this – you know, it's not vegan but it's like I got to try it. Yeah. And I finished it and it was disgusting and delicious. (laughs)
2: Right. It's like everything. And I felt awful. Yeah.
3: But I was happy. Right. I mean that
2: is so fucked. I want to ask you about Adderall again. I don't want to brush over that. You said you had the – the most energy for like a month.
3: A good month to two months when I just went cold turkey and gave up gluten and Adderall. Was
2: there no downside?
3: I th- I tried getting off it. So I, I think I got on, you know, I think I was probably on it 17 years. Right. Um, I tried getting off it in my 20s, my mid, early, early to mid 20s. But I would just lay in bed. I was so lethargic, and I, and that's when I just knew I couldn't get off it, and it was just a part of me. Yeah. So I was afraid to stop taking it. Literally afraid that I wouldn't be this. I didn't know myself outside of taking Adderall. Yeah. It also, and we can talk about how it affected my diet and binge eating and you know not eating all day. But when I decided this time to go cold turkey when I was twenty seven and that and give up gluten. Just all of everything I was afraid of, it didn't happen. Yeah. And I don't, again, I don't know if those two are related at all, but for me it worked. Yeah. And
2: I, w- I would, I would want to, I do want to say, just for the sake of safety, that um, your experience is your experience. Totally. and And we, I, I don't know that we should say that everybody should just quit because those are that can be there can be heavy duty side
3: effects. Definitely. No, and I I have friends who've been on it as long who should not be off of it. Yeah. Um I wanted I wanted to get off it. Um I wanted to know what it felt like to be a human off Adderall sure. and off this drug. I truly didn't know what it felt like. Yeah. So
2: my I've the only experience I had I've had with Adderall or Ritalin was when I did drugs I never was prescribed it, but I would buy pills like that and crush them up and snort them because it was like if you couldn't get cocaine or speed, this worked really well too. Um, I will say that every time I did that, I was shocked that kids could ingest this. Like I was always like, motherfuckers are prescribing this to kids? This is awesome stuff. I don't know if it's good for
3: kids, but like- That's a heavy-duty thing to just quit. Totally. I I look back now and I'm like, oh, my fucking God. I was a child doing cocaine basically. It's insane. I I wouldn't let – again, this was a new – I was so early on at like being prescribed this drug that I remember and my parents uh, just found it. NBC came to my school. I grew up in New Jersey. And they did this whole like ten minute thing on Adderall and ADD and kids and I like you know chubby little me with a bowl cut and gap tooth and an underbite. It's like yeah, like Adderall makes me feel better, and like right. I'm using Post-it notes to tab. Like it was crazy. Yeah, um, it's wild. But I didn't know anything else. Yeah, and
2: and then and then I can't imagine the fear of like you know my 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 career as a drug user was only about five years, but every time. I went to try to stop using drugs. It, it, it's um, it's hard to express in words the the sense of a loss that you're experiencing, the sense of like whatever your normal paradigm is, is completely shifting. Your existence, the way you are confronting the world, is being stripped away from you. I, I imagine it's like, you know, somebody going through some, thing where like a very devout religious person is going, waking up one day and going like, I don't
3: sense God or something like that, now, you know? I'm happy that you brought up religion. Cause I mean, for me, it, I had like Adderall rituals. Yeah. I knew, I knew exactly from the second I took that pill, how long, exactly how long it took to kick in. Yeah. And it was exactly 27 minutes. And I would wait to go, you know, I would have a bowel movement. Yeah. I felt amazing. And then I went to the gym. Right and i just like i had these rituals and overnight i had to create new rituals yeah and now i have them with coffee and re- whatever but but it was a, in a sense religious
2: yeah i think those rituals are so important
3: i think so, for for a healthy lifestyle totally yeah totally.
2: I, I mean i if i deviate from my 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 structure that i've cre- kind of created for myself to keep me In line with what I've deemed good for right now, right? Uh, You know, these words, good or bad, are so subjective. But like the path that I'm on today, the deviation gets dark. You know, if I miss the gym, the day is not as good. And then the next day is harder to get back there. You know, um, I'm
3: really into ritual. Me too. Me too. I mean, that's part of my balance. Like for me to have balance, I have to keep up this healthy routine. Yeah, And when you're, and kind of like if I eat something that I know is not good for me and I feel guilt, if I miss, and I know this isn't healthy either, but if I miss, you know, the gym or, you know, during the pandemic, you know, I was just doing a ton of pushups. Yeah. But if I miss this, yeah, the day's not as good. I don't feel good. I like feeling strong like in the morning yeah. and setting the tone for the day. Um, yeah I feel like shit if I miss the, if I screw up the rituals.
2: okay. Now I have another question about veganism. I am like in my head when I try to run through what I would eat if I was vegan, vegan and gluten free sounds like you've given yourself some like heavy duty barriers to try to totally overcome. so
3: for me, you know, it's literally been this is my whole life has been a food journey, yeah, of figuring out what, like going in opposite ends of like obsessiveness. So when I became – when I first became vegan, I became very vegan but really also didn't fully understand how food affected me. So I'm just eating kind of mindlessly but I'm in my head and I think Kevin Smith talked about it too. Like, you know, still eating at some of like the not-so-great vegan places but it's vegan. So it's healthy but it's not.
2: (laughs) Um, No. Dude, listen. If somebody said to me, all you have to do today is be vegan. Like you don't have to think beyond vegan. I'm eating a veggie grill every day was, yeah. and I don't think that's much better. Maybe it's environmentally better than McDonald's, but as far as like the
3: nutrition, I don't think it's much better. I don't better. think it is either. And there's a ton of fried vegan stuff. No, it's, some of it's really not great. It tastes great. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Vegan um, ice cream with cashews. Unbelievable. Yeah. I live around the corner from a Van Leeuwen, Yeah, but I got it out of my system, so I'm good now. <laughs> right. um, but what, so when I was first vegan, I was still, un, you know- trying to figure out what healthy meant to me. And being vegan was enough for a year or two. And then I was like, man, I still like have this like, again, for me, like you see this tiny person, but like I had this like pouch on my belly and I was like, this will never go away. Like I wanted abs too, not to like show off just like for myself. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to feel strong and, you know, see how, you know, when Daniel Craig gets out of the water in Casino Royale, that image is just burned into my brain. It's like, I want that body. Uh,
2: That to me... It's stuff like that where I don't know why. I don't know if it's nature or nurture, how it was sold to me as a kid. But that to me is like, that's a man. Totally. And I am not that. And so what am I? And how do I figure this out? And what shame do I carry because I'm not doing that? And and again, I don't know where it comes from. Like I can't pinpoint anybody – saying to me as a kid, because you're not doing this, you're less than, you know what I mean? Because you're not emulating this, you're less than. It's a fucking bizarre thing.
3: Yeah. I think to, yeah, to your point, I think growing up, you know, I hated sports. I played them, but I hated them. I hate, I hate competition. I don't really get it. But seeing these other boys' bodies, I was like, that's what I want. That's attractive. Even though I was funny, you know, girls, like, I think, you know, it was all about women. Like, I wanted attention. Yeah. And for me, like, Physically, it's like, well, they're talking to those boys because they're cute and they're talking to me because I'm funny and I can entertain them, but they're not actually into me. Yeah. They're into them. Again, this was like 7 or 8. Nobody was into anybody. <laughs> right. They so it made no, no sense. Like yeah. my I again, I don't so I don't know if it was from watching like Baywatch or whatever show the Jerry Spring. I don't know what I was watching, but something deeply like got deeply ingrained in me and messed me up. Yeah. And so anyway, back to your question about veganism, only in the past few years, I mean, because I my portions were also huge. Whatever was on my plate, I would eat. And my girlfriend at the time, if she didn't finish it, I would eat hers. Yeah. And again, I wasn't huge, but I felt huge. I felt gross and I couldn't stop. So when I first, I, I got into therapy really late, changed my life. But one of the things I talked about was like, I have a problem. I just said, I have a problem eating. I eat very quickly. I have... Terrible stomach aches constantly, and we spent months unpacking this and figuring out how to be a healthier eater and change my, literally change my the psychology of how I even think about food. Why am I eating so quickly? Put he said one thing that was extremely helpful was like put your put your fork down. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to keep funneling funneling it into your mouth, and that little thing putting my fork down doubled my time in the in how food entered my mouth, and it was great. Are you familiar with the book Atomic Habits? No. So I could be
2: completely getting the wrong book uh, and I got to read it. I've bought it. But the idea is um, changing habits through very, very small Mm. manageable things. Because like if today I went like, you know, I'm I'm working out in a very specific way. But if today I woke up and was like, I'm going to be an endurance athlete, which I'm not designed to do at all right now. That's a massive shift from what I'm doing. But if you tried to create the habits that an endurance, endurance athlete had by doing, by starting literally with, I think like two minutes a day, you know, like, um, I'm, I've been writing something for two years now and it is like opening a vein over the keyboard every time I sit down because I'm like, I have to get 10 pages done today or something like this. And the, the attitude from Atomic Habits is two minutes a day. That's how you start. You start. Keep the
3: expectations just low. Just
2: super low. Do something, whatever it is that you're trying to do for two minutes a day. So it's like when you're talking about setting your fork down, that's how I'm, I'm reading that in that same universe of like, what is something tiny that you know you can succeed at? You know, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I hate the word mindfulness, and I I think it's the most profoundly useful word. I fully agree. Yeah, like if we are actually trying to cognitively change the way we interact with stuff and food I think of as just stuff, what are little things that we can think our way into success with? And like setting your fort down to me is masterfully huge because – what what happens in the in-between when the totally. fork is down? You're not shoveling the food. That's awesome.
3: It's you know, it's it's not rocket science. If you put the fork down and you eat slowly, you become fuller. More, yeah. Like and you end up not eating everything. Yeah. And lick, like cleaning your plate. Like a, like I ate like a dog. Like it was I truly ate like it like for years. It was the last meal of my life. And and hearing the, my therapist describe this, I was like, Oh, my fuck. He's right. right? I literally eat like it's the last meal I'll ever eat. Yeah that's psychotic that that's not healthy, yeah. So yeah, that was a few years ago, and it's like, you know, also changing you know, talking about expectations. The pandemic, I think, was the healthiest I ever was. Because, you know, I wasn't going to the gym, but I moved right next to Central Park. So I was in the park and I just was just like, I don't care about what I look like. I care about how I feel. Yeah. And I care, like, I want to do pull-ups. I want to do natural body weight exercises. So I became very, not obsessed with, but just very into being able to do these very slow, intentional pull-ups, you know, 100 a day, like sets of 10 or 20 or whatever. But that was it. And it was like, you know, when I cha- when I wasn't looking in a mirror at the gym or whatever, or seeing other bigger bodies... And huge muscles and I was just in a park with like 80 year old men and I was just doing pull-ups and push-ups I felt great yeah just changing my expectations of what I even wanted from working out uh two years ago
2: and and there's something beautiful about that too because
1: how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
2: It becomes more pure, you, totally. you know, like uh, there, there, it is hard. And like, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like I couldn't go to a gym for years until I'd lost an amount of weight where I, I felt like I've accomplished enough to be welcome at a gym. is all fucking bullshit. But it's
3: all bullshit.
2: I, you know, I wish, and I think for as much as they annoy me, planet fitness is trying to create a space where it is welcoming to People and and certainly anybody obese should feel very welcome at a Planet Fitness. There's some other stuff where I'm like they're a little bit Nazi-like on some of these rules, like you can't have a two-gallon jug of water, really. Which I'm like, I, I drink a lot of water. I don't need to grunt while I lift weights. I certainly don't need to drop weights, but I like to have a lot of water with me when I work out. And this, I saw there was like some shame in carrying. I've never, I've never seen around. that rule. Very weird. Um and it could have just been the one yeah. I was at. It's not the typical gym I go to. But when I travel, I'll go I'll go to whatever gym is closest. Um, but like some place where people who would get a lot out of the gym who feel uncomfortable. But like what you're saying, going to Central Park and working out on your own and – not staring in a mirror.
3: Yeah. These are great hacks for anyone. Great, totally. And Michael Moore taught, you know, he was just, I, I don't remember his exact journey. And, you know, we use words that we don't like, you know, mindfulness journey, but that's exactly what they are. Yeah. I, I always preface when I use the word journey with a friend, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it because I feel like listening to your journey. And that's why I reached out because yeah. it was inspiring.
2: I know. I, I hate them too. And then when you think about the the cliched sayings where like the journey is the destination, also true. It's unfortunate. It's just, it's, it's been true. co-opted
3: by a certain kind of yes. person. That's
2: right. And, and like, I don't, I don't see myself as that type of person. I don't see myself as like a mindfulness person at all. And yet the thing that's helped me the most is being mindful. Total,
3: mindful. When I, I live in the future, it's probably where all my neuroses comes from. But the, when I really get into a good place of being present, I'm the happiest I am. Yeah. And that's being mindful. It's just enjoying who I'm with or what I'm doing. And it's great. Yeah. But I live 10 years, like so many days, weeks, months into the future with every decision.
2: Dude, me too. And even when I get uncomfortable with the present, everything for me is weighed against something else. So I go like, what is the anxiety that I'm feeling? What is it about? Oh, it's about what I expect is going to happen in the future. That's giving me anxiety. Because if I think about like this moment, I'm having a great conversation with you. I have no anxiety at all right now. If I could touch certain things that are I know are coming, I could feel the anxiety build. And then I go like, even when I was doing uh, cycling and I got into the middle or the towards the end of a really hard climb uphill, right? Like there's a canyon called Latigo in the, in the Malibu Mountains. I think it's 11 miles from PCH to the top. It's not the most brutally steep, but it's fucking long. 11 miles of climbing is a lot of climbing. And even at the worst, where you think your legs are going to cramp, you think you're going to explode, you could get into it and go like, "But this is okay." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this pain I'm feeling right now is okay. I can I can deal with this. I can get through this. So even whatever the apprehension I have that's giving me anxiety, if I put myself in the moment and go, what's that really going to be like? It's going to be okay.
3: Which is also what you, really pure and beautiful... It's beautiful to be in the moment. Yeah. It's... Yeah. And um, that's kind of how we get through all of it. Totally. Somebody said to me recently, it's again, it's one of those cliche things, but man, when you really internalize what these things mean, they're very freeing. This girl said, the future does not exist. Yeah. I'm oh like, she's right. Yeah. So what am I worrying about? Yeah. That's heavy. I know. It's beautiful when yeah. you really when you really internalize what that means. Yeah. So why am I freaking out about XY and Z? Yeah. And
2: and even if it's a little bit of actual pain in the present, can you get through it? Can you is it, you know, like is it enough to make you consume all of your thought or if it is like how do you immediately handle it in the present, And a little right?
3: pain is okay. Leaning I, into that fear, you know, again, back to Brene Brown. You lean into that. You yeah. dare greatly. When you have that pit in your stomach, I've had a lot of pits over the past few years. A lot of things have happened. And when I just let them sit for weeks or months, I'm consumed. But when I address them and lean into it and dare greatly, it's just like it's hard for a second. Yeah. And then I feel I feel like I could literally breathe again. Total relief. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 It's pretty wonderful. Um, what, uh, what you moved in the pandemic moved. Yeah. You found yourself exercising in central park. Yeah. Was food hard to come by? Like what was your, did your diet fall apart at all?
3: I, I don't really eat out a lot. Um, I don't really, I'm not a great cook either. So I'm kind of just left with these really simple meals. Um, but I think my parents, like they felt bad for me. They'll they were like, "We'll get you Daily Harvest." And I was like, "All right, like, <laughs> yeah, I'll try it." Yeah, it's all vegan, gluten free, and it was great. And I was just cooking these really simple meals, and there wasn't a lot to do. So for me, I was every single day just going to the grocery store, looking at things maybe I hadn't considered trying, and you know, I was cooking a little bit more. Um, but no, I felt the strongest and more in control during the pandemic, and maybe because it was, so, it, I had a lack of options. Um, And nobody was asking me to go out. I'm not – I've never been a big drinker. um, But I was like not drinking at all. I felt so healthy during the lockdown.
2: Yeah. I think that it worked – I think there were some people that it was catastrophic for. Clearly some people died and that that was like as catastrophic. There's there's, you know, nothing more catastrophic than that. So I don't want to downplay that. But I do think that for people who – you know, and I don't I, – I love restaurants. I'm a big fan of restaurants. I think uh, making food well can be a form of art. Definitely. Um, but that said, like, I think in America we re- rely on processed foods as a crutch. And for anybody who had to step outside of that and was shopping at grocery stores more and – being mindful, sorry.
3: No, you don't have to apologize
2: to me. I'm here for it. For anybody else who (laughs) shares the disdain for this word in the same way that I do, I apologize. But like there was a huge opportunity for thinking about what you ate and having to get creative with how you exercised. And I think there were quite a few successes, you know, Um, and now as we come out of it, it's going to be that thing of like do I want to go back to what I was doing prior, right?
3: Or finding the balance. Right. You know, I swung one way, but how you know, when I can go out, when somebody invites me out, how can I learn to enjoy that again and yeah. not feel self-conscious about eating something that might be processed? Um, I'm figuring it out.
2: Yeah, I still do feel – you know – I have a wife and kids who really like to go out. My wife wants to go out. I think even more than just to experience food from a restaurant, just to feel like she's a part of society or not society, like whatever we are, that's not just our house. You know what I mean? Um, To go out and mingle with people and be around other people and, and experience that. And, and for me, I still like, you know, unless it's a place that I know is going to weigh out a chicken breast and broccoli and rice for me, which that place doesn't really exist and I know they're not going to cook shit in oil, I feel panicked almost every time like, fuck, I got to take her out. What am I going to do? Am I going to eat first and then not eat at dinner or am I going to just bite the bullet and Throw my trust into the cooks. It it's it's a tricky proposition,
3: and it's also like I want to be with my friends and have fun. Yeah, I'm allowed. I am allowed to do that. That's what life's about. Yeah, I don't want to go crazy because I eat the wrong thing one time. Right. Um. But so I, you, you asked me something earlier that I didn't really get to answer about Adderall. Yeah. Um. And didn't want to gloss over it because it's important because I don't have a lot of friends who talk about this and yeah. you know I talk, I do talk to people about it, but not really publicly.
2: No, I want to hear about it. I think it's important too, because my experience with drugs was always um, taboo simply because I was doing something illegal. I was doing something that my friends and family, I had to hide from them. So I think there's a really interesting thing to talk about here, which is when this thing is expected, not just, you know what I mean? It's totally. not taboo at all. It would be taboo to not take it.
3: It was not taboo, but you know, I was on it at such a young age. So it was, it was just a non thing. Cause I wasn't really talking about it because again, when you're on it at eight, nine, 10, you're not talking to your friends about the drugs you're taking. You're playing video games and running around and like whatever, peeing in the snow. Yeah. So I remember getting on it, and for the first few years, didn't really think much of it because I wasn't paying attention to it. But when I lost a little weight from the drugs because it suppresses your appetite, that's why I know certain people take it because you don't eat all day. Right. So I lost some weight, got into high school. Girls started looking at me different. I was like, whoa. So it's creating these like synapses in my head where it's like, skinny good girls like skinny so i'm like like again now i can look back and understand this but i was like i'm never gonna get off this because i like not being the size that i was yeah and but the trade-off was no appetite all day you know i might have a light dinner with my family but then at midnight i'm downstairs with a massive bowl of cereal a huge scoop of peanut butter a huge scoop of jelly, like I was doing these crazy concoctions, which were disgusting, but I was I was eating I was stuffing my face at midnight, waking up with awful stomach aches, and I never put two and two together until years later, right because I didn't want to know
2: then that's literally when
3: the pill would wear off. The pill would wear off at night, yeah, and appetite I, my means. appetite would come back, and I'd stuff my face yeah it was awful, but I didn't know I didn't know I wasn't making the connections at the time, I was just eating when I was hungry and not when I wasn't right. And
2: are you still able at that point to have such a small window of hunger that you're not even eating so much that you're gaining weight? You're still losing weight.
3: It's, it, I, I think I got stuck. It was just weird liminal thing because, you know, when you eat really late at night and it just sits in you, so you're waking. So I wasn't – again, I was. I was never huge. I was just like – in my head I was just like – I still I was puffy. I was like I had stomach. So and again it was definitely body dysmorphia, which I now know because yeah. I was always big in my head. And only till recently I'm like, "Oh wait, I look good. Like I'm healthy." Yeah, like you this look is great Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, no, but like even taking my shirt off and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, "I, I finally like what I th- I see." Yeah. But it's it's been my whole life to get
2: here. Dude, I this is what I strive for. Yeah. I hope to get I I I I took a picture of myself with my shirt off today and I have visible abs and I'm still like, this sucks. This
3: is yeah. not, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, well, it's hard. It's me saying I like what I see is like, that's, that's good for me. Like, again, there's, I can name 10 things I'd like to change sure. and get like, but for me just to be even happy at a place where I'm happy and okay, like, you know, I've heard you talk about going to the beach and, yeah. you know, keeping the the shirt on and whatnot, I was the same way and again we were very, we were I'm sure we were different weights. Yeah. I was not a huge person, but I was so, I was so insecure. I was so self-conscious. And what did I weigh? Maybe 150. But I I I just like my hip, my like whatever, the love handles, the you know, man, like everything. And again, I don't even know if this is real. Like what I, but I perceived it as real. Sure. So I didn't want to take my shirt off. My thigh Again, why am I thinking about my thighs at age 15? Again, yeah. Social media wasn't around. Dude,
2: I talked to a, I a buddy I just did a movie with, and he was telling me about, and he is beautiful. Like, by every metric you could do, he is a beautiful man. And he was telling me about how when he was a kid, he took his shirt off once, and somebody made fun of him for being veiny. And for me, I'm going, like, every time a new vein is visible in my abdomen, I'm, like, fucking celebrating.
3: <laughs> when I see a vein in my arm, I'm, like, that's when I'm at a good – that's Dude, when I feel good. it's the best.
2: <laughs> seeing veins is the best. And so he was, like, no, I never took my shirt off after that. Once somebody said I was veiny, I I hated seeing veins. And, I nev- and, I, and I'm just
3: going, like, this is so fucked. It's so fucked. Because there's no way to win. There's no winning, Yeah. No, the va- I want the veins. Me too. I want the veins. It's it's it's. Fu- this is my first time saying this out. Like hearing somebody else want the vein. Like this is. But I'm, representation matters. Like yeah. hearing you talk about that, it's like yes. Like I'm not crazy for wanting that one little vein on my forearm to pop. Dude, I
2: have there's I there's a series of three veins on my uh, left forearm that don't exist for some reason on my right. But these three veins. I, like, judge how well I'm doing Literally, in life same. by when they're visible same. and not. I'm like, oh, fuck, I must have had a rough weekend. No veins there. It's crazy.
3: I, I, I have the exact same thoughts. I'm physically attracted to the veins on my arm.
2: Me too. And by the way, it doesn't help that my wife says she's physically attracted to the veins That doesn't on my arm. help, no. It <laughs> doesn't help. And I'm like, want to wear long sleeves when they're not there,
3: you know? Yeah, I know. I know all too well. Yeah. I um.
2: I couldn't I, – I, this is just – I mean it's basically just mental fucking bullshit.
3: It's mental bullshit.
2: That like I think spotting it is a big part of like not letting it haunt you anymore. Talking about it is a big part I of I think it.
3: that's the answer and yeah. I think that's why this podcast and your journey and story and everything is so important because I, the more I talk about it, the better I feel about it. Me too. And my r- expectations become a little more realistic. Yeah. When I don't talk about it, that's when the shame builds. That's when I go through spirals in my head. And like talking about – this is probably my first time publicly speaking about probably everything. Amazing. I know it's great and it feels good and it's great to hear like, you know, the vain thing, what you've gone through and that there's no winning. But like I think the winning just comes from being open and honest.
2: Yeah. I I also think – I also think and I think the reason uh, that I find talking about it to be so valuable is that I don't think any of the stuff that we're – we think we're doing to address it physically in the world. I think we're addressing symptoms and the actual thing for me, I don't know if it's for everyone, but for me, it's like this feeling of shame about my body. One of the manifestations is an obese body. Not having an obese body does not take the feeling of shame away. So this feeling of shame is something else that I can only address by communicating it about it, by by recognizing it, by seeing it, by seeing that it's not real and talking about it and going like, I experienced deep shame, I experienced deep anxiety. And guess what? When I lost 250 pounds, none of that went away. Yeah. It was all still there. and. What the fuck is the point of any of it if we can't fucking attack the actual problem, which is I just don't want to hate myself. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, that's really all it is.
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, these terms is shame is, a you know, everything we're talking about for me growing up, it was so taboo. Nobody talked about their bodies. You know, maybe the like skinny hot girls were like, oh, my God, you look great. Like right. to each other. Sure. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, you guys do look good, but I feel like shit. Yeah. I think talking about it and owning it is is really the only way to kind of find that inner peace. Yeah. Again, another term I don't love. But, no, but, but it's, it's accurate. Something, but, it, but, that, but it feels like when it happens once in a while, man, it feels good. When I'm not thinking about what I'm eating and I'm just sitting there eating with a friend and can just enjoy what I'm eating, such a simple, natural state. Yeah. But – it, it, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it feels great. Yeah.
2: I was I was talking to a buddy of mine, and we were talking about mindfulness versus thoughtlessness. and mm. he's really into like Eastern philosophy and, and and he was like, yeah, really the goal is to be mindfully thoughtless. you mm. know? Like it might take a bit of effort with mindfulness to get to a point where it's not actively work. You know what I mean? Because for me, it's work. You have to do that work, and then maybe you get to a point where you're like, you know, Siddhartha sitting under the tree or whatever, and you've achieved enlightenment, and you're you're going like, ah, the universe just works, and and I'm mindfully thoughtless.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be work. Everything is work, right? And you have to fight for that inner peace or whatever that the um, thoughtfulness. Um, yeah. Do you miss it, Adderall? No. I think I, – I was thinking – I don't think I've desired taking it once since. Yeah. I think just – I remember before Adderall, I took two other drugs or I tried them, Concerta and Vyvanse. And these drugs – I mean, I was so young, but I was so self-aware of what these new thoughts that – I remember being in my room. I remember looking out the window and I was like, I want to kill my parents. Ooh. That was and – I, and I was like, but I don't but I'm angry. Why am I angry? Right. The drugs. And I was able to, thank God, I was able to articulate to my parents, something is wrong with me right now. Right. And that's when I found Adderall. But no, I don't miss it. You know, I, my real big, um, drug of choice is coffee. I really like coffee. I like the culture. I like sitting down. I like, you know, the oat milk or whatever. I just, I like coffee. Yeah. Like the smell.
2: Um, my wife does oat milk too. And, and, I have had sips of hers. It's fucking awesome. It's
3: delicious. Yeah, it
2: beats the shit out it's of delicious. almond milk or soy Totally. Or and now like
3: when that. I do almond, I'm like, uh-uh. And it's just bad for the environment. <laughs> right. So much is water. Is almond milk better? Supposedly, it's a lot less water. Okay. Um, no, almond. the amount of water that goes in to make almond milk is like atrocious. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love like I replaced one drug for another, but coffee just feels much better. Even just like the my like chemicals. Yeah. The, like an internal chemical. I just feel better. I don't feel angry. You know, I feel anxious, but I think that's just you know, like I'm a Jew. Like I think I have internal like anxiety like neuroses. Right.
2: That uh, could be the that could be the the nature part. Yes, that's the nature part. <laughs> yeah. The
3: coffee. Yeah. Um, but no, coffee, like coffee kind of gives me the same kick in the morning. I like the ritual of making it drinking it you know going to the bathroom running to the gym like I like that process
2: yeah I don't mind the sh- the, sh- the trade-off I really don't um being a sober guy being a guy who- do you drink coffee though yes I do every day I start my day with Same. coffee I can't I, there were times in my life where I would be able to drink coffee all day long and now I will say at work, you know, sometimes we go and we start work at 5 a.m. on Monday and by Wednesday we're now doing splits and we're coming in at 2 in the afternoon and working until 4 a.m. And and when the schedule shifts like that, I do have coffee late in the day Yeah, because I normally in bed by 9 o'clock. Yeah. But if I'm having a normal day, I, I just drink one cup of coffee. That's a day. great. But I don't miss that cup of coffee. Like that cup of coffee is going to happen. Come
3: hell or high water. I would like to be down to one cup. I do like three cups. Yeah. Um. And I'm 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 an anxious person, and I know that the coffee exacerbates it. But again, for me, that I'd rather have those three cups of coffee than that 30 milligrams of Adderall.
2: Right. Yes, I think that's probably like even scientifically. You're, you're better off f- yeah. physically. Um, I think the uh, the trade in ritual is something maybe we haven't talked about a lot on here, but I think it's pretty, pretty valuable um, because I think if I look through all of the things that I've done that I found to be ultimately harm- harmful to myself, they were all ritual-based. It was a lot of like um, being out late or you know early into the morning and going home and stopping at fast food on my way home that was something I did for years um drugs all have a ritual to them how, you know like t- how you talked about knowing 27 minutes i did drugs that kind of hit me a lot quicker than that but it was like setting it up and anticipating when that's going to happen as you're doing them and and it, there is a ritual to all of it and shifting into becoming a sober person, there's a ritual to being sober and associating with sober people and meeting with them and discussing Mm -hmm. this stuff. And with food, having a new ritual where like, I I really love what you said about setting down the fork. I I hadn't thought about that before, but I know like, if I don't portion out what a meal is supposed to be, I will just continue eating and I will just shovel the food in my mouth. So the way I do it is I just go like, what is this meal? This is this meal and this is where this meal ends. But I don't think about the food unless I force myself to. And I think the idea of setting the fork down so that you're having gaps in between the bites, that's something I'm for sure going to steal and try.
3: Do it. It's all. I mean, because you're just pacing yourself out and it it makes – each bite more intentional because you, the, it's so crazy. It's this tiny little thing, but it's it's a massive – it totally flipped the way I ate. Yeah. I, I'm just – I'm so much more intentional with each bite. It slows me down. Yeah. I appreciate the food more. I'm not just eating to get it into my stomach and move on. Right. And it's awesome.
2: And right. I think that that's something small enough that like I could – You know, if you if you said to me like, "I want you to double portion your food, but only stop at halfway," that to me is like, I'm not going to succeed. I know I'm not going to succeed. I I might be able to uh, fake my way through that a little bit, but eventually I'm going to fail. That setting the fork down. I I know. In be- if I, if it was like I'm going to set the fork down in between each bite, I know I can win. It's simple enough that the
3: average person can do that. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's not go to the gym every day at 6 a.m. Right. Just set the fucking
2: fork down. Right, but but guess what? Set the fork down could. Become the foundation totally. for going to the gym totally. every day. It's these kind of switching off of rituals, totally. and that's a good ritual. I
3: want to talk about one thing that you said because we have very similar narratives, except almost opposite. Yeah, like you were going to fast food at like what twelve a m., two a.m. Whatever. Sure, but I told you I was obsessively healthy, and I and I learned in high school, like I I just like I I I had this unhealthy relationship to productivity, early to bed, early to rise. Yeah, so I was obsessive about. Like going to sleep early so I could wake up and run to the gym. I would go to the gym twice a day sometimes in high school. And I wasn't even playing a sport. I stopped playing. But I was obsessed with working out. So for me, my ritual was like go to sleep really early, wake up really early, go to the gym for like two hours. I don't know why. It's not like I don't know why I needed to go to the gym for that long. Yeah. And then run home, go to school. Go back to the gym and then go, like go to sleep. Like I, it, that was to me was unhealthy because I was prioritizing this really unhealthy routine. And these to me they were unhealthy rituals. Yeah. Now now I look back and they were unhealthy. But I was pri- I lost a lot of like friend time. I lost a lot of fun experience, like teenage experiences. I didn't really. I went to some parties, but I was so obsessed with being healthy. Yeah. I like, and that's why you know, my nobody really drank in my family, so it was never like. A thing in my life, and I was just you know I didn't want the calories I not want the, I never really liked the taste of beer so I was fortunate, but um but for me I just I I realized I prioritized being so healthy that I lost so much fun yeah. not fun drugs fun drinking but even just going to dinners late night dinners I just never I, I rarely did for years of my life yeah. Which is also not – that's not healthy. No. That's not – that's a really bad balance.
2: Yeah. I, I – th- I, yeah. No, I completely agree. I, I – I, I, this is what I struggle with most today is like having a family, having a wife, having people that I am responsible to that also socially I'm responsible to. You know what I mean? It's totally. not just like I pay a bill – and then I show up at their graduation. They, they want a participant in their lives. And and like sometimes I do structure my life where it's like, I don't I can't do any of that stuff with you. You, you, you know what I mean? Like I'm gonna take my cooler of food and stash it in a locker outside of Disneyland and come back and eat. Throughout the day,
3: that's something I would do. Yeah, that's something I should do. That's yeah,
2: I actually want to not have to do that, you know what I mean? But then there's guilt of like, you know, and when I think through Disneyland, what can I eat there? The last time I was there, they had some fresh fruit, which mm-hmm. was nice, and they had turkey legs, and I can eat that. And like, I suppose you could find healthy food. I think I, I think I recall seeing like um sliced celery, which is great, yeah, for me. Um, but like, there, there has to be. Whenever I am too on the side that you were talking about during health, high school, whenever I am too invested in fixing myself to an to an extreme degree, the wheels come off at some point.
3: Totally. And that wasn't just – that. it started in high school. I was figuring out how to have this quote, like be healthy. I was really obsessed with being healthy. Yeah. Went into college, went into New York, and again, only a few years ago – did I really say whoa? Yeah. I'm not like I want to be a better friend. I can stay I'm a I'm 30. Right. I can stay out late. <laughs> yeah. I mean like like no, it was like true nerd vibes. I was like so, a switch went off and I was just like I need to have fun. Yeah. My friends need to know that I'm fun. <laughs> right. And they obviously do cuz they've been friends with me for years, but I needed to know that. Like yeah. I was and give myself permission to have fun. Yeah. I have this weird thing in my head where it's like If somebody doesn't give me permission to do something, sometimes it's so – like therapy. An ex-girlfriend said, you should try therapy. And I said, I can do that. I I didn't know. I just didn't grow up with that as an option. Nobody said, you should try this. But there was no stigma for me. I just didn't know it was for me. (laughs) And I did it. And I loved it. Yeah. And I had to find the right person and it took a few tries. Sure. Changed my life. Then I got that guy who I found told me the fork thing.
2: Yeah. I think this is the way for all of – it for diets, for health, for structuring your life. I I think it – you know, there is a bit of trial and error. There, there is a bit of figuring it out. You, you, you know what I mean? And there there is also like – listen, if you have 200 pounds to lose – You might need to set a time for, like, okay, for this period of time, I'm not gonna focus on having fun. It's gonna be work towards this thing. But to have that idea of, like, I have to do this thing forever, you know, and I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble because there's so many diets that lead to rapid weight regain that it does become like, for me, for a long time, I just was like, resigned to the fact like, well, I'm dieting forever. Yeah. You know, which is like not fun for my family. Yeah. You know, they don't enjoy me only eating turkey breast on Thanksgiving. They don't like that. They it bothers them,
3: you know? For me, you know, again, I wasn't obese. I can only speak to, you know, feeling not healthy. Sure. Um but I tried diets. I tried lots of things I probably didn't need to try or shouldn't have tried. But I tried them, learned that they didn't work. I mean I feel like I've probably been – I've been trying to diet and try different things my entire life. And again, whatever light switch went off a few years ago where it's not about the diet. It's just about creating a healthy lifestyle that they'll never be – and again, I wasn't trying to lose 200 pounds.
2: But I don't think that – again, I think that's a symptom because I do think it doesn't – you know, you can find obese people who are perfectly healthy. Yeah, This is not – this is not like scientifically fraught thing I'm saying. This is true. You can. And so I think if a person, it's whatever their goal is, a person could want to lose 10 pounds, your little
3: punch,
2: whatever it is, your feeling of dissatisfaction with yourself, I think is
3: more the thing. That's exactly what it was. And when that light switch went off and I realized it's not about the diet, it's just, it's about being intentional it's about being pre- frankly being present yeah and you know slowing down eating finishing when i was full like these tiny things like i was i had been my own worst enemy my entire life right and when I realized that, if I just like ate half a portion of what I was eating, because I don't need the entire block of what baked tofu, yeah. half – I was full with half. Yeah. Of course I'm waking up with a stomach ache if I'm eating that, that, and that. Right. Just eating too much. My body doesn't need all that. Yeah. And then stopping – You know, I, st- I really try not to eat past 8 p.m. Yeah. I feel so much ba- – it's a, a tiny thing. And I just – I wake up and I just feel good.
2: Yeah, me too. I
3: don't if like If I eat either. past eight, it messes
2: me up. I, I I prefer dinner at around five. Yeah. And then like I have one protein shake later in the night, but it's not a heavy meal. I do
3: – so my like – one of my hacks is because I really – you know, ice cream – like these things like, you know, they're good in the moment and then they feel not so great. At, <laughs> you know. I do – when I want something sweet, I, I have some vegan protein, I think like or I yeah. love it. A scoop and some cinnamon and turmeric. If like if if I need a late night thing, and it feels great. Yeah, it's and then nothing. you don't wake up feeling no, crappy. And it's just a it's a scoop of protein. That's that's all. Yeah. Um. But no, that's been a ha- a recent hack for me, and it feels great. Like I don't feel heavy. I it satisfies whatever I need satisfying. Yeah. Um. So that's been really helpful. Just finding these little food hacks. I
2: love it. I love it. I love I love this whole conversation, Matt. Thank yeah. you
3: so much. Thank
2: you so much for having me. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
4: And now for the Q&A. Here's a question for you from Tom. Hi, Tom. Tom says, I was curious if you experienced severe pain in your feet and legs when you were overweight. I'm six foot two and weigh 355 pounds. I struggle to walk very far on the best days. The problem is that I get more comfortable walking. Uh, hold on. Let's start that again. Okay. Hi, Tom. I was curious if you experienced severe pain in your feet and legs when you were overweight. I'm six foot two and weigh 355 pounds. I struggle to walk very far on the best of days. The problem is that to get more comfortable walking, I need to walk more, but that causes a great deal of pain. Just curious if you have any advice for someone who is on the cusp of improving my health.
2: Yes. um, I I definitely... Had severe pain in my feet and legs. You know, I still get pain in my feet. I have flat feet. I I mean, like I don't know the total extent of of your feet and knee issues, Tom. But I have flat feet, which it's not. You know, standing all day sucks. Um, that's not. It's got really nothing to do with your question. But I'm trying, like. Number one, weight loss is helpful because it alleviates the burden that's being placed, literally on on the the legs and feet. And in my opinion, the majority of um uh, the majority of weight loss is diet. So diet is a big key, and then increase, and then as far as like walking and stuff goes you know, you should never walk so much that you can't beat it by a little bit the next day. So that that would be the way I would kind of structure your exercise. And then, you know, also riding a bike is a great thing that doesn't put a lot of stress on the knees, on the joints. The elliptical machine, if you have access to an elliptical machine, is also another good thing that doesn't put a lot of stress on the joints. Um trying to think of the rowing machine is is actually good for that too. And so there are certainly things you can do for exercise that aren't walking. Um, If you're at the point where you're like, no, dude, all I can do is walk. That's, that's it. Then I would say design something where you're like, how far can you walk that you could beat it by a minute or two the next day or even a foot or whatever and design it around that. And then build up to the point where you're walking a bunch and then, after a few weeks of that, take an easy-ish week and then start over and, and go up again. That's, that's my suggestion. But I, you know, I, I, for work sometimes, I'm standing all day and my feet still hurt. Um, nothing like what I experienced when I was massively overweight. But yes, I have total, total empathy for, for what you are going through.
4: Well such a good point you made too is that losing weight which i understand in his question feels kind of like a catch 22 if he's walking to lose weight to feel better but you said it's 80% diet and that's I don't
2: know that i put a percentage on it. Did i just make that up? I
4: said i thought it was mostly diet. Wow, i just so literally made could be it up. 52%. Sorry, diet. forget please i'm not answering the no, question but, maybe it but is i 80%. just like put is it 80% that in. page? I have no idea. I yeah. just said that. Okay. As you said, mostly diet.
2: Yeah. So. I don't even know. I mean, that's what I believe to be true. Sure. But maybe for Tom, it's mostly walking. Mm -hmm. And so even then, if you're having trouble walking, I would say do the diet portion until you have a little bit more success walking Um, I I don't think you should not walk Is there any amount you can walk Where it's not so painful That you can do that every day Do that and try to increase it over time
4: That makes sense Yeah. Awesome Okay. If you have a question that you'd like answered on this podcast Please email it to americanglutton.net
2: Thanks for listening To this episode of American Glutton I'm Ethan Suplee And as always joined by my chaperone Paige Dorian Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.